Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Director of ETFs, Andre Bruno, who discusses his outlook on interest rates, money market yield rates, and how investors can think about navigating the current ETF landscape. Andre explains to host Brian Borsakowski that when it comes to interest rate hikes, consumers in the U.S. are less vulnerable due to fixed rate mortgages, while variable rate mortgages create vulnerability for Canadian consumers. He says the market is pricing in an 80% July rate hike probability as the Bank of Canada aims to hit their 2% inflation target. Andre says paying attention to the housing market can provide investors with insight into whether the market is at or nearing a bottom. This allows for increased flexibility in investment allocation according to changing market cycles. This episode was recorded on July 7, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Big employment news, uh, as I just mentioned, 60,000 jobs in Canada, still pretty strong. Um, What do you make of these numbers? Yeah, it is it is a strong uh, a strong employment print. It's always important to take a look at the fine details of the employment print. Like what, what we typically like to look at is the breakdown of full time versus part time employment. So if you think back to the last print, which was uh, um, you know not quite as rosy. Last you know the last employment print in Canada was you know we lost a, a ton of full time jobs and we added some part time jobs. It's kind of the reverse of that now. So I think we added over a hundred thousand full time jobs. Uh, while shedding, uh, I, I believe it was around uh, somewhere around 40, 42,000 uh, part-time jobs. So all, all around a, a relatively positive employment print. You know, you talked about the U.S. numbers there, so it did come in lower than analysts' expectations, but still above 200,000. So still a fairly decent employment print uh, for the U.S. So you know, what what folks do need to to appreciate and think about um, when you take a look at employment numbers is you know. If you take a look at economic indicators, they can be broadly broken up into kind of three categories. So you've got your lagging indicators, your concurrent indicators, and your leading indicators. So obviously your lagging indicators are going to tell you, you know, where was the economy, you know, a few months ago, six months ago. Your concurrent indicators are more of a snapshot of right now, how's the economy doing? And again, your leading indicators are those indicators that point to, you know, what could be possibly be coming down the line in terms of the economy. So when you talk about employment numbers, those are historically a lagging indicator. That's kind of the last shoe to drop in terms of uh, the economic story. So again, while the employment numbers are still rosy, it doesn't necessarily uh, tell us that everything's fine under the hood. Um, there were, though, a lot of full-time jobs, which surprised me, um, over 100,000. I guess you may, I hear what you're saying. Maybe it's we haven't caught up to that yet, but it does feel like at least those numbers should be a lot lower given all the rate hikes we've seen. Yeah, that's what you would expect. Uh, what you would have expected coming in, but I, I think you know the employment story is just taking a little bit longer. Um, you know, again, I think 
you know, I, th I think what the, the shoe that needs to drop for employment to start to drop is kind of those earnings numbers. So we've obviously, you know, the, the earnings, uh, you know, the earnings forecasts are not super positive, whether you're looking at Canada or the U.S. Uh, so I think in Q3 and Q4, uh, the employment numbers will be important to watch. It'll be interesting to see if we do, uh, you know, as we do see earnings come down, if they do come down, uh, if, if that translates over into, uh, you know, some job losses. Um, uh, GDP numbers are still fairly good in, in Canada and the U.S. And um, it, it, it's always interesting when these numbers come out because typically, yeah, it would be great to see job growth. People would celebrate that. But now it's always sort of a mixed feelings because you're waiting for this recession to potentially come and everyone wants to get past it. Um, but why do you think the economy still is strong? Um, why are we seeing these GDP numbers still in good territory? What's taking so long? Yeah, I mean, wage wage growth is still in positive territory for for the you know you know for employees as well, right? So uh, you know, obviously, as as you know, employ employees are still you know getting higher pay. That's obviously going to translate into positive consumption. Hours worked are, has ticked up modestly as well uh, in terms of the employment story. So again, you know, you know, in the absence of kind of those you know layoffs, so to speak, um, the consumer is still hanging in there. You know, when you think about um, the U.S. versus Canada as well, so you know, one of the one of the big kind of debt line items for the consumer is that mortgage number, of course. You know, that that typically is your largest um, kind of debt line item for for the individual consumer. So if you think about the United States, um, you know, and I've mentioned this many many times before on these these uh, Fidelity Connects calls, is um, the American consumer is about 99% fixed rate mortgages. So kind of those rate hikes aren't really hitting the U.S. consumer quite as hard as, say, the Canadian consumer. In Canada here, we're about 50-50 in terms of uh, variable rate mortgage to fixed rate mortgages. So, you know, you, you think about that 50-50 and say, okay, we got 50% variable. Those folks are, are starting to feel it. That's for sure. But if you think about the 50% fixed, um, you know, those are, those are going to start to roll off and people are going to start to refinance and they're going to get a little bit of a sticker shock uh, when they have to refi those mortgages. So, you know, as those fixed rate mortgages start rolling off and they have to refinance, I think that's going to hit the Canadian consumer a little bit harder. Um, obviously, the big question on everyone's mind now is, especially seeing these numbers, is what happens next week when the Bank of Canada, July 12th, next rate announcement, do they hike by 0.25% again or something else? Obviously, impossible to predict, but based on kind of what you're seeing, what where do you think um, central banks he, here and, and in the U.S. go go next? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think a lot of folks in Canada thought that we were maybe done. You know, early on in the year, uh, the BOC did did pause their rate hike cycle. Um, but you know, we I, I don't want to say the last rate hike that we got out of the BOC was a surprise per se. I think the market was kind of pricing in a you know a coin flip of 50-50 shot whether or not we were going to get that rate hike, but you know, when you think about our side of the board and think about the BOC, you know, they went through, they hiked, they hiked a lot last year. So did the Fed as well. You know, as we know, those interest rate hikes take time to filter into the broader economy, you know, anywhere between six months, to 12 months. Um, so I think, you know, the BOC gave time for, for the economy to digest those rate hikes. And I think, you know, given we just talked about how the, the economy is still kind of churning along, the consumer didn't break, the economy didn't break with the rate hikes. Um, we're still kind of at 3.4% inflation, so we're still 1.4% above that 2% target here in Canada. But I think, you know, I think there's some comfort with the BOC knowing, okay, the economy isn't broken. We still have hot inflation. 
we need some more rate hikes to get inflation back towards that 2% target. At the end of the day, that is their mandate is to keep inflation at a stable, you know, 2%. So I think that's why we got that extra rate hike. Um, you know, if you take a look at market expectations now, I think, I think they're pricing in somewhere around an 80% probability that the Bank of Canada is going to go again this month. You know, if you take a, a longer term view, or sorry, shouldn't say longer, but a longer term view than just the next meeting, um, you know, the market is more or less pricing in 100% chance that we get some, another 25 basis points from the BOC by, uh, I believe, sometime in September. Um, very similar story south of the border as well. Market still pricing in another hike from the Fed. Uh, obviously, the Fed took a little bit of a, a little bit of a pause at their last meeting. I think it was their first pause that they had had since 2022. I think April in 2022, uh, they had they had hiked consistently at every meeting up until then. Uh, but again, they're still sitting at north of 4% inflation in the state, so there's still some work there to be done. And again, I think Chairman Powell down there, again, similar to the BOC, has a little bit of comfort knowing all those rate hikes they got on 23 hasn't broken things. There's still work to be done on the inflation story. So again, they're committed to getting inflation back towards that 2% as well. If rate hikes take some time to work themselves through the economy, and that's a common theme that I've heard on a lot of these uh, webcasts over the last few months. Is there a risk that central banks could hike too fast um, and, and, you know, and have the, a hard landing, hurt the economy more, maybe not giving it enough time for things to work themselves through? Yeah, it's certainly a possibility. And I think, you know, it's, it's impossible to kind of model that out. Um, I think kind of where the mistake came in for both the Fed and the BOC is perhaps they were a little late to the party in terms of rate hikes, um, you know, because they did have to go very aggressive last year. Um, you know, going into last year, I think markets were pricing in, you know, 150 to 200 basis points of tightening. We blew well past that, whether you're looking at Canada or the U.S., um, so I think the the mistake was in 2020, 2021 and not getting kind of rates back at least to a neutral level, not necessarily um, into a tightening levels of interest rates, but at least to a neutral level of interest rates. Um, so again, I, th I think it's a good question and, and it, whether or not they've gone too much too fast this year. I mean, I think this year obviously has been a lot more conservative in terms of how many hikes they've gotten in. Um, but again, you know, we've already had, you know, six six months to 12 months of letting some of those rate hikes hit the economy. So I think there is some comfort there knowing that, you know, a lot of these hikes have already filtered into the to the broad economy and there's still some work to be done. Because at the end of the day, I think, you know, their concern is if inflation continues to stay above that 2% target. So I, again, I, th I think they really, really want, central bankers really, really want to get that back to 2%. Um, and again, I think there is some comfort saying, I, I, I think they feel like they've, they're navigating this correctly and that they're, they're able to get that off landing, if not avoid a recession altogether scenario. Um, so just on inflation, I mean, we have seen numbers come down 3.4% in Canada, 4%. Yes, still higher. But you know, we're not talking about 8% anymore. And, and under 4% in Canada seems amazing after what we've seen over the last few months. Um, I guess, you know, is inflation now really coming down? Or uh, you know, we are sort of over that year over year number too. like last July, it was pretty high. Um, does it get higher uh, in the next few months as those numbers kind of the numbers are smaller year over year? But where do you think we go from here? Are we getting to a, that 2%? Yeah, if you break down into kind of the individual components of the CPI, um, the main driver for this elevated, for this continued elevated inflation has been that services services bit. Um, and, 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 and so think about kind of wages, which is a big contributor to that services uh, inflation there. Um, so, you know, if you take a look at that services numbers, we, we have kind of hit the peak for services inflation and we are trending lower. 
So that's been kind of the main missing piece to kind of tame overall inflation. So again, I mentioned it is trending in that right direction. Um, you know, if you took a look at wage growth, it is it is still positive, but it is slowing. It's not quite as an aggressive pace as it was uh, maybe six months ago. So again, there is some comfort knowing that, you know, as we continue, as we get, you know, more rate hikes filter into the economy, as we get more rate hikes from the BOC and the Fed, that that services component is going to get back to a more comfortable level and ultimately bringing the overall CPI back to that 2%. So, um, you know, I think Canada has a slightly better shot of getting to the 2% by year end. Um, you know, again, the Fed's still at 4%, so double their 2% mandate. Um, but I think, you know, based on current trajectory, both the BOC and the Fed are, are probably going to get inflation uh, towards more comfortable levels by, by year end. And then ideally, uh, latest Q1, absolute latest Q2 next year, we should be at that 2%, if not below that 2% target. You don't think they might change the goalposts and say, okay, well, we're at three, you know, that, that, that's good. Y yeah, well, I, so I, I believe... Uh, I don't know that that's politically a smart thing to do. Um, you know, you, you just had about, you know, you've, you first said, you know, inflation's transitory and then we got to double digit inflation almost. Um, I don't know if that's politically feasible to tell the consumer now, you know what, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna move the goalposts and say, you know, we're gonna devalue your, your, your earnings by 3% annually. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think the central banks are gonna do that. Keep, keep in mind, you know, we, we did get, you know, almost a decade of super low interest rate environment. Uh, and now we've got a slightly high interest rate environment. Um, again, I, I don't think that's a path they necessarily are going to go down. When you look at any other indicators, we're talk, you know, talking a lot about uh, employment here and rates, but are there other indicators that you're looking at that either say, uh, you know, telling you that maybe slowing is happening, a recession could be coming? What are the other numbers that you're looking at? Yeah, so if we take a look at kind of uh, the, 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 the leading indicators, so some that come to mind are the yield curve. Obviously, we've talked about this before. It has been inverted for quite some time. Um, so, so the bond market has been signaling a recession for quite some time. Uh, other leading indicators are, you know, PMI, so purchasing man manager indices. Um, if you're looking at CAN in the U.S., um, you know, both both you know, PMIs are measured on a zero to 100 basis. Anything sub 50 is considered contractionary. Um, so both PMIs on both sides of the border are sub 50. So in that contractionary. Uh, um, in that contractionary zone. Uh, when you take a look at housing starts is another kind of leading indicator. So both in Canada and the U.S. that has been trending lower in 2023, albeit the U.S. did have a, a slight uptick last month, but the broader trend has been moving lower. So again, the leading indicators are suggesting that a recession is potentially coming. Um, again, the concurrent indicator GDP is one of those, still positive. Um, so again, things are still looking okay from that perspective. Uh, and then we mentioned earlier about the lagging indicators. So employment is, is a big one that we take a look at. Um, so those are all things we, we generally like to take a look at. Those are some of the more popular indicators. Um, so obviously those leading indicators are important right now. They're not flashing a rosy picture, but uh, again, there are, there are some other economic indicators that are suggesting that you know, we're still doing okay. We're still trudging along here. So when it comes to actually investing and uh, the advisors on, on here, I'm sure are interested in, in the opportunities and what to watch out for, where are we in the cycle and how does that uh, affect uh, equities, fixed income? Where, where are you seeing kind of people put their, put their money? Yeah, so when you, when you think about the late cycle um, and, you, and you talk about equities and, and I'm gonna tie this back to kind of factors, um, you know, typically the, you know, looking at the research over years, typically what's performed well kind of late in the cycle has been your momentum and your quality factors. So, you know, quality obviously makes a ton of sense. You're looking for those quality companies, quality earnings, quality of balance sheets. Um, you know, those are kind of your safety names, right? 
Um, so those are typically the areas you want to play in kind of late here in the cycle. When you, when you take a look at uh, the fixed income side of things, obviously your treasuries are your friend in late cycle, assuming a recession is going to come. Treasuries are your friend. Investment grade, so, so taking a little bit of credit risk off and looking at more of the safer areas of the credit market. Again, those investment grade corps, for example. Um, you know, you want to be quite selective with your, your, your higher risk names, so your, your high yields um, and, and that particular area of the market. So uh, those are certainly kind of, kind of the ways you can position yourself in kind of this late cycle here. Um, in terms of, you know, what I want to tell folks too as well, like, you know, a lot of people think, you know, recession's coming and, there, and there's kind of a couple views right now. So there's, you know, recessions coming, let's be super defensive, and, and certainly a lot of people are taking that view. So, you know, if, if you are taking that view, then obviously the more defensive names are something that'd be more appropriate to express that view. You know, when you think of some of our portfolio managers, someone who, who's, who's a very defensive, value-oriented focus, Dan DuPont, um, Canadian Large Cap Fund is, is, is very uh, value-focused, and he's very focused on downside protection. So again, those are certain ways you can express that view. On the other hand, you have, you know, some of our managers talking about, you know, this is the most forecasted recession. A lot of it's priced in. You know, I, I know Mark Schmel had said a, a good defense is a good offense, looking for opportunities. Um, you know, especially when you think about uh, Mark and, and his, his portfolio, obviously he has, he has a pretty large uh, technology tilt, a, a large growth tilt to his names. Um, so, so Mark's argument is, you know, tech has already gone through the recession, the, the technology recession. We got a lot of layoffs in tech last year. You know, we're kind of coming on the other side. So Mark sees a lot of opportunities there. So again, if you are looking for a little bit of offense, you know, obviously a guy like Mark or even a guy like Hugo Lavallee and his Greater Canada Fund who's a contrarian investor, um, you know, those, those could be good options for you as well. Um, and then, so yeah, late cycle, but I guess at some point we're going to move to, uh, you know, early cycle. What, what factors do well maybe in, a, in, in the more upward trajectory of, of the cycle? Yeah, I mean, I think a, a good thing to look for kind of early on in the cycle, I'm going I'm to deviate a little bit from the question and, and focus on different areas of the market. Um, you know, I think small caps is, is, a, is, a, is a great area to look at early on in the cycle. Um, you know, again, tying it back to some of our PMs, Connor and Chris run a global small cap opportunities fund. So that'd be a great area to look uh, early on in the cycle. When you take a look at the fixed income side of things, that's when you want to take a look at credit. So obviously, historically in a recessionary environment, you see credit spreads widen out. Your high yield gets hit, your investment grade gets hit, albeit to a lesser extent. That's when you want to take a good look at kind of uh, adding a little bit of credit and taking a look at where you can allocate risk. Um, but those are typically the areas that you like to invest kind of early on, you know, right, right after the recession, very early on when perhaps valuations have been hit, you know, small cap valuations have been hit, credit valuations have been hit. That's when you can find those kind of uh, good deals and, and get in early on those assets. No. I mean, you can't time the market, so you, but there must be indicators. Uh, we talked about indicators before, but is there anything that you're looking at that says, okay, maybe things are shifting. Maybe we're moving from late to early cycle. What, what would that be? Yeah, so actually our, our chief investment officer, Andrew Marchese, who's a lot smarter than I am, I had, I had the opportunity to hear him speak at one of our Vancouver events not long ago. Um, and one main thing that he mentioned in terms of um, you know asset prices and the economy, he says, Things don't bottom out until housing bottoms out. So I think that's a really important indicator to take a look at. Um, as you mentioned, like no, no one really has a crystal ball. We don't know exactly when that's going to happen. Obviously, you know, if I knew that, I wouldn't have to work here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think housing is an important thing to take a look at in terms of, you know, finding out, are we at the bottom? Are we close to the bottom? Um, 
obviously, you know, I guess there are a couple approaches to what we're talking about. You could be more tactical and 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 get into factors or different areas and switch when we move to early cycle. But um, you know, Fidelity has those all-in-one ETFs, and uh, maybe just talk a bit about that. If someone, it, it is, it probably, it, it is hard to be a bit tactical. Is there uh, that product help you uh, get through all the different kinds of cycles? So when we're thinking about that particular product, so uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, it's you know. Um, we've got a full suite of them, four of them, an all equity one, a growth one, a balanced one, and a conservative one. So I mean, think about the balanced one just for sake of argument here, which is your classic 60-40, 60 equity, uh, 40 fixed income. Uh, there's actually a small allocation of uh, Bitcoin in there as well. Uh, but nonetheless, when you think about the equity allocation, we've, we've packaged in four of our factor ETFs, so our, our quality, our low vol, uh, our momentum, and uh, our value factors in there. So, you know, if we take a look at the research over time, we found that those particular factors have been able to produce alpha over any investment cycle. So we said, hey, why don't we package them all together? You know, it does, you know, packaging them all together does smoothen it with the ride, you know, going from start of the cycle to the end of the cycle. And then when you take a look at the fixed income side of things, we've, we've added a little bit of active in there and Jeff Moore, his Global Core Plus mandate in there, as well as our systematic Canadian bond. Uh, so again, you're getting some factor exposure, you're getting some active exposure on the fixed income side. And again, this product is set up to derive alpha relative to your passive 60-40 over the investment cycle. Uh, so again, uh, the idea there is to have superior risk-adjusted returns over the investment cycle to take a nice smooth ride, and it's all packaged neatly into one product uh, with a very competitive fee structure as well. And I mean, you mentioned active ETFs or act active uh, management and... Uh... I, I, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention the active ETF launch that happened a couple uh, months ago, and uh, which is interesting because uh, ETFs a lot of people think are passive and more, you know, these traditional index hugging ETFs. Then we have these factor ETFs. Where does active fit in here? Maybe just talk a bit about kind of what that is and where it fits into that, um, the ETF landscape. Yeah, certainly. I mean, historically passive, um, the ETF space, you know, going back to kind of um, the early days of ETFs it certainly was a passive driven market. So think of your, you know, index ETFs, your S&P 500, your TSX uh, index ETFs. Obviously, the, the industry has evolved quite a bit. Obviously, we have factor smart beta ETFs, and then we've got full blown active now. Uh, so the smart beta um, factor kind of sits in between active and passive. You know, what we like to say about our, uh, our factor ETFs is that they're uh, active in design, passive in implementation. When we think about the active side of things, it's certainly been a, a growing growing segment of the ETF market has certainly been growing um, assets uh, at a faster clip relative to uh, from a percentage basis uh, relative to the passive and smart beta buckets over the last three to five years. So there's certainly a lot more uh, appetite from the advisor community and the investor community to get into active ETFs. And I think that's just more of a testament of the a lower, you know, a greater adoption of the ETF vehicle as choice. You know, there are there are those clients out there who do prefer the ETF vehicle. Uh, so again, that is one of the main reasons we're seeing a little bit more traction with regards to kind of the active area of the ETF market. So, you know, you did mention we did launch uh, four active ETFs with some of our more popular managers that I've actually already mentioned today uh, back in late, late, late uh, sorry, late May, pardon me. Um, it's been a tremendous success for us here at Fidelity. Uh, it's certainly resonated with clients and we've been seeing a lot of interest in those particular products. 
Let's let's talk about ETF flows a bit. Uh, we got the June numbers came out recently. What are you seeing? Where are people putting their money? And are ETFs still uh, still doing well uh, right now? Yeah, I believe that ETFs are uh, somewhere around 19 billion uh, as of the end of uh, June. So still attracting quite quite a bit of assets. Uh, I know it's slightly it's doing it's doing better than than mutual funds this year. Uh, we're still seeing a ton of flows going into those cash products. Um, you know, again, that front end of the yield curve is still, as we know, it's an inverted yield curve. So the front end is still looking quite attractive from a yield perspective. Um, and I think we are seeing still a lot of clients going into that space for a couple of reasons. Number one, the yield is attractive. You're getting anywhere, you know, around 5% uh, for cash, which again, is something we haven't had since I feel like before 2008 when, when you know, there were still yields in the market. Uh, so investors are, are liking the yield for sure. They are liking the safety of these cash products, whether they're you know HISA or money market instruments, which are, are historically lower risk instruments. So um, you know, given kind of the economic backdrop and the potential headwinds from the economy, um, people are liking the low risk, high yield, and I think that's why folks are flocking to that front end of the yield curve. Do you think that stays? You know, we move into the next cycle. If those rates stay high, I guess they could come down a bit, but then you'd get some capital appreciation on your fixed income. Uh, portfolio. Um, do you think that interest in fixed income will stay if rates do stay higher for longer? Yeah, I, I think so. And that's a big question um, that people are asking is, is about these cash products. You know, it, you know, money market space was kind of boring for a long time because there simply wasn't any yield in it. Uh, so I think the question is being asked now is, are yields going to stay high? Are money markets still going to stay in favor? I think if, if I think central banks probably want to keep interest rates a little bit higher than than zero, which is what I feel like we basically had for the last 10 years. I mean, I know there was some up and down, but it, it feels like we were at zero for, for most of the time. Um, you know, I think it's healthy for the economy. I think it's healthy for investors for yields to stay at slightly elevated levels into the future. Uh, that being said, um, you know, historically, at least for the last 10 years, it's it's been a bad been a bad bet to bet against uh, central bankers uh, not being uh, uh, not being uh, loose with their economic policy. So, you know, while I hope the levels, you know, at least stay, you know, north of 2%, 3%, um, you never know with central bankers, you know, if there's a bump in a road, there's a hard landing, uh, there certainly is a possibility we head back towards those zero levels, uh, but hopefully we don't. Just on the equity side, uh, in terms of flows, where are you seeing those going? Yeah, so I mean, we've still been seeing some interest in the international side. Um, you know, it's been a little bit mixed per se. I think I mentioned earlier a few weeks ago from an international perspective, again, there was that valuation argument for, for why people were perhaps looking outside of North America. Uh, but again, I think there's still a little bit of a lot of uncertainty with investors out there with regards to equity markets. Uh, certainly, they haven't had a terrible year by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I think there's a lot of this, again, it's, 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 we're, we're slowly, a lot of people think we're kind of slowly going towards this recession, uh, iceberg, so to speak, uh, people aren't sure what to do from an equity perspective. Um, so again, volumes have certainly been, uh, you know, lower from an ETF trading perspective. And again, I think that's just a reflection of, of, of uncertainty in investors' minds. And just on company earnings, we've kind of touched on that a bit. Um, you know, there was, by the beginning of the year, people were optimistic that earnings would stay strong. Um, what are your expectations there? Do you think we'll see earnings contract as, uh, were people too optimistic? Will they fall as we get um, later into the year? Yeah, I, I think earnings haven't, you know, been great. They haven't been terrible. If you take a look at, um, you know, forward, forward earnings expectations are certainly not, the forecasts aren't certainly for earnings growth. 
I mean, if you take a look at top line revenue, top line revenue has been okay. Um, but you know, when you filter to the bottom side of that income statement, it hasn't been quite as good as the top line. You know, I, I kind of expect that trend to continue. I think what's going to be important there as well. I think what you're seeing now also is an inventory build as well. Um, you know, as we knew, as we know, you know, back at the back end of COVID, one reason why you know we were we were trying to explain the CPI was um, you know backlog and backlog and supply chains, backlog and supply chains, backlog and supply chain. So what you've seen now is you've actually seen a, a large build in inventories because uh, a lot of corporations are saying you know we we don't want to get in that scenario where we don't have any inventory, we can't sell out to folks. Um, so I think. With that inventory build, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of circling back to inflation here, but there is that large inventory build. So, you know, as we know, those large inventory builds, um, you know, that should have a downward pressure on prices as well. But as pressures, you know, as prices continue to move lower, that's also going to affect earnings uh, right. ultimately as well. So uh, I don't think the earnings picture is certainly super rosy. Um, I hope I'm wrong. Obviously, we all want to see good earnings. We want to see the economy continue to go. Um, but you know, I, I don't have a super positive outlook for for earnings going into Q2 and Q3. We should start to get Q2 earnings, uh, you know, in the next uh, a month or so as well. So you know, keep a close eye on 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 the earnings picture. Um, just you know, minute left. Uh, we're, we're into the summer here. Um, you know, it always feels a bit slower. But what are you looking for? What what is going to be on your radar? What are you paying attention to over the next couple of months? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of uh, evergreen for me, but I'm I'm always looking at kind of the, you know, the the economic data. I, I you know I mentioned those leading and lagging indicators. I'm going to continue to keep an eye on the consumer, keep keep an eye on retail sales, see how the consumer's doing, because um, again, I mean, that's my biggest concern up here in Canada is just the overall uh, kind of health of the consumer given our debt levels up here. So that's something I'm certainly going to keep an eye on. Employment is certainly something I'm going to keep an eye on as well. Um, again, I think, you know, if we are going to head towards a recession, we are going to start to see a softening in those employment numbers. Uh, again, this translates to the U.S. as well. Uh, so I'm going to continue to keep a close eye on that economic data. I'm very interested in Q, Q2 earnings and what those are going to look like. So I'm going to be keeping a close eye on those as well. Excellent. Uh, we will leave it there. Um, thank you so much for doing this today. Anytime, Brian. Until the next. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.